but it drives me nuts when people talk about, oh, look at this new idea that we just came up with, and it's never been new. It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast that helps you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm your host, Matt Stratton, at Matt Stratton on Twitter. Arrested DevOps is brought to you by 10th Magnitude, a company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. 10th Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformations using the cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th Magnitude. This episode is also brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 70 common infrastructure tools, such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at ArrestedDevOps.com Datadog. So back in October of 2015, I sat down with Phil Dibowitz of Facebook to talk about his thoughts on open source and how someone can get started with it. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Okay, so I am here with Phil Dibowitz from Facebook. We've been excited to have him on the show. He hasn't been on before. We figured, you know, we were hanging out here at Chef Community Summit, and I cornered him and said, Phil, we're going to sit down and we're going to do an interview, and he didn't run away fast enough, so we're so now here. sitting here, so now you're here. So, Phil, you want to tell our audience a little bit about, about yourself and what you do? Sure. So uh, I'm a production engineer at Facebook, um, and I spent a couple years uh, building a uh, <clears throat> pattern at Facebook of people being able to own their own their own tiers of machines. So my team built sort of low-level set of core cookbooks that basically generated an API uh, on attributes. So if you, for example, want to set a syscuddle, you have one variable assignment in your own cookbook, and then you're off, and off to the races. You don't have to understand all kernel tunables. If you need um, you know, a cron job, you don't have to know about all the other cron jobs in the system. You assign some stuff into an array, and, and the magic happens. Um, and we, we did that um, specifically not using a lot of the internal resources, using um, templates and notifications so that when someone deletes those three lines from their, their cookbook, the recipe, uh, it all just goes away and gets cleaned up magically, and so sort of whole systems get managed um, as, as one as opposed to piecemealing it through. Um, and it took us a couple of years to sort of get everyone to migrate onto that system. Uh, but <clears throat> since then, it's been it's been really, really, uh, it's been really good. And you know, through that, we got I got super involved in the Chef community. Um, you know, became a maintainer, started adding features, little things that we needed, bigger things that I thought were useful to the community. Uh, most recently, the multi-package support in Chef, um, and then also are a lot of our internal tools that people have found useful, taste tester and grocery delivery and stuff. Cool. How long have you been at Facebook? Uh, November will be five years. Five years. And what did you do before? Uh, before that, I worked at Google. Mm-hmm. Worked on the Gmail infrastructure. Uh, before that, I worked at Ticketmaster, um, which uh, we are also really big into configuration management and trying to figure out how to scale that better. Um, at the time, Puppet and Chef didn't exist, so we actually wrote a bunch of us wrote a configuration management system, which you can find on GitHub today, called Spine. Um, 
and for its day it was really fucking cool um but it, it doesn't really have a, a community and it wasn't maintained and so after I left by the time I came back it wasn't it wasn't sort of the right tool for the job anymore like the, the industry had moved on gotcha very cool um, one of the things I wanted to talk about too is I remember at ChefConf this year you sat on a panel talking about open source okay. and uh, it was to me I don't know if you had the same thing I remember being at ChefConf this year and thinking you know we're living in this very weird alternate universe you know where yep. we had you know Mark Rosanovich and Jeffrey Snow over up there talking about running Linux on Azure and the canonical folks are talking yeah. about building stuff on Windows and you know we're in this I, I always say like I've been trying I've spent a lot of my career working with Windows and you know I feel like Michael Corleone and the Godfather I'm like every time I think <laughs> I'm out they pull me back in because yep. they you know kind of have their stuff together and I'm, I'm interested to just in general on your thoughts around how you've seen in your experience open source as, as community and just also as product and within various industries maybe yeah. evolve throughout your career well so open source has always been a driving force in 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 my career in my personal life and in, in the things I care about so um, part of the reason that I was able to get started in in this industry very young was because I was hacking on open source as a kid um, you know there's no you don't have to get a job to do it you just get to go and do the thing you want to do um, and so that that model was always very appealing to me uh, when I when I came to Facebook a uh, big part of my interview process was Hey, if we're gonna if we're gonna build this new way of doing things, I want to open source it. I want to talk about it. Um, we worked with you know Chef to um, you know make sure that everything we were doing from a scalability perspective in Chef uh, for Facebook was going to be available in what at the time was open source Chef. Um, now there's just one Chef server. Um, so it's it's. It's something that I feel super passionately about, and I and I and I try to pay a lot of attention to. Uh, and what I've seen over the last two decades um, is, uh, right? So open source started way before me, but but it was the only thing. There wasn't proprietary software really. Um, you know, you had maybe some some local punch card things that somebody had written <laughs> for their own for their own internal um, you know processing or whatever. But it wasn't a generic piece of software. Um, generic software was by and large. You know, distributed on you know BBSs across you know universities or whatever, uh, and then you had this sort of you know long period of time of you know Windows and these proprietary uh, proprietary apps and, and 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 operating systems. And the thing that sort of changed somewhere in the late '90s was uh, as Linux became more popular and as you had you know Apache coming out and 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 um, whatever Mozilla Firefox was called at the time, <laughs> uh, Phoenix or something. Um, you had this awareness amongst people who were in industry who were kind of like, man, I kind of always thought that that the, the that story that I heard about everything being open was neat, but that would never work. But you start to you started to see that it was it was not only going to work, but it was going to be the better the better solution. Um, so uh, so what you sort of <clears throat> in my mind have seen is 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 people not having a choice, right? Like people, industries, companies, um, communities realizing that. You, in order to really compete, you have to be able to move fast. And the best way to move fast is to let everyone else help you move fast, right? It's not about some altruistic, this is the better way. As much as I, I, I like open source and I feel passionately about it, I think the thing that's changed is people, it's no longer the thing you do because for some morale or moral thing, right? It's it's the thing you do because that's 
that's the way to get the business done faster, right? If you, if you, uh, if you write, like I'll take it, Facebook as an example. We realized after putting a lot of effort into the um, trying to make our PHP app scale better, um, we needed a runtime that was different from what people were doing in the real world, uh, and that and we decided to do it in a way that other people could leverage it. So we wrote the hip hop's uh, PHP mm-hmm. to C compiler. We open sourced it, um, and we didn't just throw some code over the wall. We really tried to build a community around it. We tried to engage the Zen community, who has been great actually, um, about you know kind of working with 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 Facebook. And now there's a shit ton of people who will contribute to it and use it and yeah I mean we have a bunch of people who maintain it internally yeah. but a bunch of their work gets done for them right and, and, and things move forward without us having to shepherd everything um, you know people talked at Facebook about writing a config management system like why would we do that right yeah. there's there's great ones out there people already maintain them so when it comes to you know Microsoft I think they've been forced to see this light, right? And they're doing more and more open source stuff. They're releasing more and more of their libraries and their frameworks uh, open source. Um, and I don't think it's, I think I think for a long time it was lip service. For a long time mm-hmm. there was a dude somewhere who said, well, if we don't open source the thing, you know, we're not gonna be able to say that we're open source friendly. Right. And that's gonna, was, I'm trying to think of like the term when it, it's not like read open, but it's like open source, the open source where you don't accept PRs. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, here's the code, but, we don't accept contributions, yeah. and I think there was sort of that, and I think then that, yep. like and, you said, that would and be there's the a lot of companies yeah. do it, yeah. yeah. Um, and and I think that was what they did for a really long time because they didn't understand the community, they didn't understand the benefit, and then you look at like, um, you know, what Azure's doing and and, and what the, what them as a company are doing now, and and. I don't think the whole company gets it, but I think there's yeah. large portions of that company who have bought into this model, see the benefits, uh, and it, to me, as much as I've been, in, you know, sort of anti-Microsoft because I was an open source advocate, um, I do. To me, it's exciting to see a big company that's sort of been the antithesis of our model actually coming around. I think it's going to make a better Microsoft. I think it's going to make a better Linux. I think it's going to make a better everything. When you know. They may not do the same things the exact same way we do, right? I don't think Linux and Windows are going to merge, yeah. but we give each other ideas and we mm-hmm. build off each other in the same way that like Chrome and Firefox are better because they're both there, right? Right? They can look at the other one and go, "Well, I don't like the way they did that, but it gives me an idea," and then and then they do a better thing, and then it goes back and forth, right? Um, so, so to me, that's what that's what's changed in the industry over the last two decades is is people realizing that just because you see my code and take my idea doesn't mean that my product is no longer cool, um, because I'm going to look at what you did with that, and then I'm going to come up with my next idea and, and we're just going to get better faster. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of, one of the things that we've talked a little bit about. Um, there was a, in, in our, uh, we did an episode recently and yeah, Robin Bergeron was talking about like this whole thing of where things have changed and like kind of open source behind the firewall right. thing. And one of the things that I was was thinking about, and this was true with, with you know, kind of the DevOps stuff as well, as I said, I think it's been going on a lot longer than we kind of think about, but up until relatively recently, a lot of enterprises don't, wouldn't talk about it. Right. I remember thinking, you know, there was a, a, you know, I've talked about before about when I was doing consulting and I would go in and I would talk about DevOps transformations and, you know, the people would say, you're the fifth person to come in today to say I should be like Netflix. And the problem was, and that's where kind of this unicorn model or idea came from is because the only people you were hearing from were Facebook or Netflix or Etsy. But, and I remember thinking, and I'm like, but these other companies are doing it. They're just not talking about it. And that's what I think has been great with like the DevOps Enterprise Summit and when you hear about when companies like Target, you know, and Nordstrom actually 
has always been very vocal about it, but even GE and all these yep. big companies are willing to talk about it. That really helps it see like, okay. And I think what, what has become the realization is that a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is not the things that provide your competitive advantage, right? Exactly. You're not talking about like, Absolutely. you know, Netflix doesn't open source their video encoding software, right? I'm sure there, there's plenty of stuff at Facebook that I'm sure you do not open source yeah, because it's your competitive advantage. But the stuff that's plumbing, yep. <laughs> you know? Infrastructure, scaffolding, those right, things. Right, yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any, and these, like you said, it could just make you better, it makes everybody better. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if other people know how you are you know, scaling your servers. Absolutely. They're not going to, because that's not, you're not in the business of scaling servers. If I yeah. want to come disrupt Facebook, it's not going to be because I'm better at building, you know, 300,000 servers fast. Right. (laughs) There's other things. And I think that's the the thing that I think within a lot of enterprises is challenging because they, within their IP, within their normal legal, it's figuring out like, how do they not set a precedent or understand that just because it's written here doesn't mean that it's special sauce. Um, I think there's two things I I want to comment on that. One is, uh, you're talking about sort of the history of of DevOps becoming a a more well-known and accepted thing, and then also this sort of like uh, leveraging and releasing open source software, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, I... I, I really agree with one point uh, that you sort of brushed over there with quickly, which is I don't think DevOps, like the, the word is new. Yeah. I don't think the style is new. When I was a junior admin in the 90s yeah. um, and we were working on this little dot com and I was trying to learn anything I could from this guy who was really smart and had been doing this for a long time um, and he had said something about a junior and a senior admin and, and I mean this really stuck in my head. I said, well, what, 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 what's a senior admin? What will make me a senior SA? And he's like, well, you gotta, you gotta be able to read the code of the, the applications you're deploying. You've got to be able to work with developers and like bridge that gap. You've got to be able to go talk to the, the data, database guys and bridge that gap. You're never going to be maybe the C coder that they are or the, mm-hmm. the DBA they are, but your job is to not just be the systems guy, but to be the systems guy who can also touch all the other things in a meaningful way that bridges that gap. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah. and like, but that's that's what DevOps is, right? Like right. We, we've added a bunch of stuff and we formalized it and yada, 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 but like senior admins could always code. Yeah. Senior admins could always work with other teams in a meaningful way. Um, and And it's nice to see it formalized. But it drives me nuts when people talk about, oh, look at this new idea that we just came up with, and it's never been new. It's never been new, but I think what's interesting, well, they're, they're kind of we've, we've made the joke before. I have a, a friend of mine who says, I've been doing DevOps for a long time back when I just called it work. Right, exactly. But what I think is, and I, I, I absolutely agree with you that, you know, kind of coming up, like this was the thing, but I think there was a pendulum swing where for a while what you were saying was actually not the case. You know, I mean, we were getting into this that, yeah, there were very senior sysadmins who, you know, and, and again, this happens a lot within the enterprise where it's like, like I care about the box. Right. And that is actually where that goes. So it's not necessarily that it's a new idea. Right. It's a very old idea. Right. But it's actually kind of a correction for sure. changes that, that potentially were made that... My take on that has always been those people are just bad at their job. Well, <laughs> right? like, but the problem is there are a lot of them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I mean, so. Um, so then on the open source side, I think that um, I think that's much more difficult. I think... I think you're trying to work with a legal team inside your company to explain why we should or could give away a thing. And and there is a lot of complications around that. And I've been very lucky to always work with lawyers who get it yeah. and go, okay, here's our risk. What do you think? Like, what's the value? Let's try and compare those and then just do it if we think it's a good value and not do it if we think it's not a good value, right? Which, that's what you should do as a business, right? right. You don't just release things because, and you don't just not release things because. You, you, you make a value judgment. Um, 
which means you need lawyers who understand this entire space, which is a thing a lot of lawyers were not trained on until recently, right? You didn't used to be able to go do uh, an IP specialization when you get your law degree that that covered the concept of releasing your own internal um, intellectual property as an open source project, right? Um, so I think that that's, I think uh, we've always gotten it. right? Um, but there was so much in the way between business and lawyers and marketing and all of these other things um, that to get through all of that was way too much effort. So unless you worked in a three-person company where you could say, uh, hey, I know the CEO because he's my buddy since college, you know, that was fine. But if you're in a big company, there was just way too much uphill battle to do, right? Whereas now we work in a world where there's a pretty good chance someone in marketing is going to get it and there's a pretty good chance someone in business is going to get it and someone in the legal team is going to get it and you sort of find the right person and you, and you have some chance of getting through that gauntlet. Um, I mean, again, if you're working at a, a Facebook or Netflix or whatever, that's probably not an issue uh, for well, you. In a company but that, that... But an older or more traditional company, um, yeah, you, you, there's probably a path you can find. And I think that's where that shift happens too is kind of the, the, the realization of that, you know, every company is a technology company now, or every right. company is a software company, you know, but whereas if you were inherently, by definition, according to what everybody at the company already thought is, well, we're a software company, then you probably hired a lawyer who had a background in software, right? Right. But if you are now coming to that realization, again, it's getting the rest of the business up to that understanding yeah. of what does it mean to be a software company, Yes. even if you're, you know, it's the, the CIO of United has the quote, which is, you know, we're not an airline, we're a software company with wings, right? you know, and yeah. so you have to, to think about where that goes but it's, it's challenging because again and you also I think a lot of times you know there's a lot of fear of precedent right it's you know certain companies that have very protective IP I think their um, their uh, lawyers are concerned about if we do this does this set some kind of a precedent sure. that this other stuff that we're super protective protective of is a thing but that's um, where policies come in handy, yeah. right? Like guidelines on w what you might want to open source versus what you might not want to open source yeah. and what the risk there is. And the other thing I think that's changed a lot is, you know, I'll be on a plane sitting next to a random you know, yeah. person. And they'll, oh, what do you do? I, I work in technology, blah, 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 blah. And then somewhere in there, I'll mention open source. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they will, you know, they'll be a doctor or they'll be, yeah. a, you know, a business executive or they'll be whatever. Uh, and they'll have heard of it. Like, they won't know the details. They won't know, but they know they know that there's this concept that people can release the things they do for free. Right. For the public consciousness to have some concept of that just shows the, the massive shift we've gone through recently. I mean, that, the first time I, I had somebody sitting next to me, I think she was a... She was a um, flight attendant or something yeah. who just happened to be taking a flight. Uh, and she was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was reading a couple articles about that the other day. And it was like, you know, mind blown. Like, wow, someone who doesn't work anywhere near technology has heard of this thing that we've, we've hit critical mass kind of, yeah. you know? That was really exciting to me. And I think that's the world we live in right now where not everyone knows, but a critical mass knows. It makes our life easier. What do you think through your, you know, you get like you've, you've spent, you know, like you said that, you know, pretty much your, your, your career and, and quite some time in the open source space and with open source communities. So what's, what's changed, you know, or what do you, how do you feel that, um, as far as, especially around the people involved, the, com the community, we talk so much about community these right. days, you know, what's. Uh, I think I think it's really interesting, right? Two things have changed. One is the tooling. It used to be really hard to run an open source project. Yeah. You know, taking in patches, but then you're taking in four patches, and the patches don't apply anymore. And 
and then you know you got seven replies in your email thread and you forgot to reply to the dude who put came back and said actually you thought this code was wrong but it's right and right, it was a lot of you had to really really be on top of your shit uh, you know things like github makes this really easy um, it's not perfect but oh my god it's a lot yeah, easier yeah. to run uh, a, an open source project now um, so I think the tooling in general <clears throat> makes it easier for the people running the projects but also makes it easier to, to contribute uh, it used to be that you had to know what patch policy they had like do you do patch minus p0 patch minus p1 like how do you generate your diffs blah 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 there's like there's all this stuff you had to yeah. know about how to contribute now you send a pull request you don't mm-hmm. even have to join the mailing list right yeah. like it's the barrier to entry is way lower um so I think that's one thing that has has enabled better um, a better community kind of across the board. The other thing I think is we are struggling as a community to both grow in terms of inclusivity and welcoming people who are not of our culture. Um, and I, when I say culture, I don't necessarily mean you're from another country. I'm a loud, obnoxious, aggressive guy, mm. right? And if you're not by any one of those axes and you're trying to, you know, trying to push for your change on whatever mailing list I'm on, like, you may feel like I'm steamrolling you and you may just go away. Yeah. And like, maybe, maybe, maybe that's your fault. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's nobody's fault. I'd but, but we sort of recognize it's a problem. And so I think we're, we're, as a community, we're struggling with the, okay, on the one hand, we need to find a way for that person who had a great idea to not be intimidated, to be able to have their voice be heard uh, and be a member of that community and feel uh, empowered to be able to, to get their ideas across and to fight for the thing that they, they want to fight for, while at the same time also allowing um, the sort of culture of aggressive and I don't want to use aggressive, that's not the right word, but like really um, detailed ripping apart of patches and ideas, right? Yeah. That ability that that I am going to tear down everything you've done, n- not because of you, but because it's my job to give every single problem in your patch so that you can go back and make a better patch, be a better contributor, and our project gets better, right? That is a thing that has made open source code awesome. Mm-hmm. And we want to keep that. Um, and I think it's important we keep that. And we'd be able to keep that in a way that no one's ever going to hold back on that kind of feedback. But we need to do it in a way where we're helping people to understand why that feedback comes that way and make sure no one's ever using that as an excuse to attack people, right? Because, right. because there's also that, right? There's the, I'm just giving you a hard code review, but really I'm just being a dick because I yeah. don't like you because you're, you're not, your English isn't as good or you're a woman or you're this or you're that, whatever the case is, right? So I think that um, there's these two things that we're trying really hard to to bridge that gap and to make something awesome. Uh, and it's hard. I think I think people problems are hard. We're really good at technology yeah. problems. Um, people problems are much more difficult at where we're getting so much better. Um, you know, uh, here at ChefConf, right, we got people all around who will help you deal with personnel problems, with, you know, uh, code of conduct problems, and nobody feels oppressed. Nobody feels like, oh, I can't go give my friend a hug, right? Like, right. It's a great balance of, I can I can kind of be myself, it's not a stifled office environment, and yet it's a safe place, right? Like, but, the, but it's a hard balance, and not every community's figured it out, and I don't think there is any perfect answer, but I think that's the thing that open source communities in general are struggling with right now, is how do you strike that balance? Um, and that's what I see. Like, the tooling kind of was stage one, and like yeah. this is stage two. Like, now you got all the new people coming in. How do you foster that, um, that community that you want to foster in a way that still lets you sort of 
have some semblance of the way you do you do whatever you were doing. The way you do the work, right? Absolutely. So, what would you say? So, for people who, you know, I think about you know myself. You know, and we get this a lot too. And we talk to people who really take I don't want to say take advantage, but benefit from open source projects and open source software, and they really want to give back in in some way. But it's can be really challenging, I think, because like some of it's intimidating and not necessarily. Um, it could be, you know, so partially because of the things you mentioned just by virtue of that, but also maybe just thinking like, hey, there's this, pro- it's such a huge thing. Like, who am I to, to do this? Like, right. what are what are some things that you would, if someone says, hey, you know what, I get so much value out of Chef. Right. And I want to be able to contribute back in some way from an open source perspective. Like, how do I get started? Like, what's, what's yeah. the, the, you know, because like, I'm not probably going to like go back and contribute to Core directly right. as my very first thing. You know, what are some good ways to get started? So there's sort of two questions there. One is, what do we do as a community? And the second thing is, what do, what do you do as a guy who wants to be sure. contributing? Yeah. Right? So I think, uh, I'll try. I'll, I'll tackle the second one first. When yeah. I was first getting involved in the open source community, when I was I don't know, probably twelve or thirteen, um, I I didn't like I could write a little bit of Perl, but like I did, I did. I wasn't a coder, right? And I couldn't get involved in any of these projects that I that I thought were cool. I'd find a bug and I'd be like, I can report the bug. Yeah, God knows how to fix it, right? So what I started doing was writing docs. So uh, I was a big fan of IP filter back in the day, and I maintained the uh, IP filter FAQ. I, I wrote it, I maintained it, and I would just sit there and watch the mailing list. And like the questions that came up three or four times, stick them on a web page, yeah. you know. And it wasn't like, you know, it was like an HTML three web page that I wrote. You know, it could be a wiki page today. Um, you know, I, I I wrote FAQs. I would contribute. Hey, your docs say this, but that's not the case anymore. Just an email the mailing list. Little things that, you know, people started to to know my name and 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 appreciate the fact that I was there, even though I wasn't contributing to the code. And from there, as my coding skills got better, I would I would I would see a thing. I'd be like, oh, maybe I can fix that bug, right? And and I think that there's no meaningless contribution. People are like, oh, that contribution wasn't wasn't big. Who cares, yeah. right? Any contribution is contribution. We're a community. Uh, so I think that's the the one thing. The other thing is. Um, uh, have you been to DefCon? I have not. But. <clears throat> uh, Wiseacre uh, gives this really good DefCon 101 talk, and one of the things that uh, there's many things that they cover, like you know, please take a shower every day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but one of the things he covers is. Um, you know, some of the biggest name speakers in the world are there, and none of them are above any of you people who, have, you know, this is day one in the industry for you. If you walk up to a speaker and they and they don't give you the time of day, if they are acting like they are better than you, please tell us because we don't want that speaker back. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, I say that to people at the Chef community all the time. Go talk to Adam. Adam's yeah. the nicest fucking dude you could wish to meet. Um, you know, and people are super intimidated by him. I'm like, there's not there's nothing to be intimidated by. Go talk to Adam. That's why he's here. He loves talking to people, right? People get intimidated me from by me because I, you know, I did a keynote. Yeah. And like I, I'm just a dude. Like I write some code, you can come yeah. talk to me, right? Um, I don't think there's anyone in this community who won't sit down and chat with you for a little while. Um, and I think what we need to do is remind people of that constantly. Guys, there is no one above you or better than you. Go talk to whoever you want to talk to. And if they somehow come off like assholes, please tell somebody so right. that we can have that conversation with them, right? Because I think everyone comes off like an asshole by accident sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. It can be the same thing. It's like you may be 
on your way to go use the restroom or something. Right, exactly. I'm going to try to talk to you, and you're like, hey, not right now. Right. And it's not because you're being a jerk. It's because, you know, I mean, you just had, like, three Diet Cokes. And exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think as a, as a community, the thing that we can do is constantly reiterate that that's a value to us, that anyone can talk to anyone. There are no special kings up in the corner yeah. that you can't approach. Um, and I think if we continue to do that and continue to live that, not just say it, but do it, um, I think the community will just continue to get easier and easier to contribute to, whether it's you want to contribute to Core Chef or whether you want to, you know, rewrite the docs or whether you just want to, like, be a guy who, you know, when we're looking for a volunteer to help run one of these discussions, yeah. we're like, oh, hey, could, could you help us run this discussion, right? Um, and so I think that that's those two things are, the, are, are, are what's next in terms of continuing this forward. I think that's great. I mean, I think that the point is, right, you know, by default, a lot of times people probably think contributing to open source means writing code. Right. And there's so many ways so to contribute to an open source project that could fit into your particular skill set. I mean, just like you said, helping facilitate a talk, running, you know, a local meetup, yeah. you know, for something like that. I mean, if that's where your skill set is better, writing docs, I mean, it's sort of the, I mean, it's not a joke, but I mean, white space fixes, yep. whatever. I mean, just even if it's little stuff, because that little stuff is still a problem, yep. right? It's still a thing that needs to be done. And that's a, a really great point. There's so. a, there's a couple projects where they'll have people who are not great coders, but they understand what a good bug report is. Yeah. So as bug reports come in, their job is to go, hey, uh, please grab debug logs. This is how you do it. Or, hey, uh, you didn't include this information. Please include it. Please tell us what operating system you're on or what version you're on, whatever. And they know how to make sure those bug reports that are coming into Bugzilla or the mailing list or whatever it is be awesome bug reports so that those users can get an awesome experience without some developer having to go back and forth six times with some guy who made a bad bug report, right? That is an amazing service that those people are providing, even though they're not coders, right? So there's there's millions of examples of things you can do to contribute to a community um, without actually having to write code. Great. So I have uh, one more question before we wrap up. And <coughs> so just uh, what would you think from, you know, having been at Facebook for a while and obviously... You know, everyone's very familiar, very high profile company. Right. People have, what would be something that, in your experience, and maybe just from your day to day work, from whatever, that might be surprising to people that they might not know? About or, Facebook or about, about Facebook? Oh, um, or just. I would say about Facebook, the thing that probably surprises people is the same thing I would say about a lot of the big companies I've worked for, which is internally, the goal is to do the best thing we possibly can for the user. Um, you know, we have constant discussions on like, like, how do we best ensure people's privacy? How do we best do this? How do we best do that? Right? Like, it's, it's, it's like, our users are thing, our people and we care <laughs> yeah. about them. Right? Uh, and I think that that's, that's the thing people don't believe because there's a lot of companies out there that, that don't operate like that. Yeah. But I think, I think most new companies do. Like, I, like that sounds surprising. Uh, but, you know, I've worked for a lot of big kind of dot com y companies. Yeah. And I think most, most, I mean, when you live in a world where, people are sharing on a platform, whatever that platform is. Um, user trust is is your bread and butter. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and so it's the thing you care about um, because it's why would you do it if you didn't care about that, right? Um, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I, there's, a, there's a quote in our S1 that says something to the effect of, uh, we... M we we make money to build products. We don't build products to make money. Yeah. Um, you know, and like you don't put that in your S one if it's not something you don't believe in. Right. right. Um, so I think those sorts of things where, you know, yeah, there's some there's some really just fucked up companies out there. Yeah. But there's also a bunch of companies who like work really really hard to do the right thing. Sometimes they 
do things well. Sometimes they make mistakes. Whatever. I mean, that's all human. I mean, the thing is, these companies and all these things are made up of people. Made up of people. So, <laughs> when, you, so when you're so the first day when you're in a meeting and what they're talking about is like how to be the how to be the best steward of data or how to be you know how to care about user privacy or whatever it is you know. Um, you know that that makes it a fun company to work for when you you, you can get behind the ideals of that company. Um, you know, I've never been in a company longer than two and a half years, yeah. um, and I've stayed here because I, I love the people, I love what we do, I love the technology. Um, you know, social networking isn't a thing that is critical in my life. Like I, I, I use Facebook like everyone else. That's not why I came to the company. I came to the right. company mostly for the technology and I stayed because of the company itself. Um, so I think that's probably, I'd say, the most surprising thing. Not probably to me, but to most other people. Awesome, that's great. Well, thanks for taking the time today. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Little housekeeping. Remember, we have a newsletter ArrestedDevOps.com slash banana stand. It's the best way to know about upcoming podcast episodes and cool news with DevOps. Thanks to our sponsors. Be sure to visit them at ArrestedDevOps.com slash 10th magnitude and ArrestedDevOps.com slash Datadog. And loyal listeners, if you enjoy Arrested DevOps, we would appreciate it if you would visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash iTunes and leave us a review in the iTunes store. We'd love to know what you thought of this episode. Please feel free to leave us comments at ArrestedDevOps.com slash open-source. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at ArrestedDevOps. We're always happy to get your input ideas or feedback via email at shows at ArrestedDevOps.com. Let us know any ideas you have for future episodes. I'm Matt at Matt Stratton. This is Arrested DevOps, and remember, there's always DevOps in the banana stand. (laughs) 